It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad. He blitzes right past Marshawn to the net. Dishes. What timer score? Leon Drysaddle. What a play by McDavid. Drysaddle's got it back. Ten seconds to play. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. All right, so the Oilers making it official this afternoon. They have indeed signed Swedish left winger Joachim Nygaard to a one-year entry-level contract. He turned 26 in January. He's played seven seasons in the Swedish Hockey League, all with Farstad for one year, or part of a season anyway. He was teammates with current Oilers defenseman Oscar Kleffbaum. As I mentioned on the show yesterday, as I'm sure you've uh, read and seen in, in YouTube highlights and all that kind of stuff, this dude is fast, uh, very fast, and in the Swedish League this past season, he scored. He got 21 goals in 52 games in the regular season. That was second in the entire league. So he gets a one-year entry-level contract from the Oilers. What can we expect from him in the National Hockey League? Well, hey, speed translates, and the Oilers need speed. They need penalty killing. He should be able to help. I mean, I think that's the hope. Uh, I would not put this young man, though, into the category of someone who's going to come in and be a strong secondary scorer for the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, You know, talking to people who covered him in Sweden, no doubt he is fast, at the NHL level, though, probably no more than, than average or fair in the skill and shot department and uh, most likely projects to be a third or fourth liner on the Edmonton Oilers. I think if Joachim Negard is coming in and uh, being asked to play second line left wing or on the second line for the Edmonton Oilers, then the roster probably still not deep enough. Now, we're sitting here on May 24th saying this. That's that's a projection, but that's uh, the information I get on this player. But they do lock him up. He, he was looked at by uh, you know several teams in the National Hockey League. Reports yesterday it was down to Edmonton and Calgary. So, Ken Holland does indeed get this player. Ken Holland has not hired a head coach, at least not formally. I know there's been uh, some scuttle that's a, it's a done deal with, with Dave Tippett. We'll see where that goes. Clearly, Tippett the favorite for the job. The Oilers have not made a coaching announcement uh, early this morning. They confirmed that with me, that there would be nothing today. Game one of the Stanley Cup final is Monday. Unlikely that the Oilers would announce major news on a Stanley Cup final day, game day, that is strongly discouraged by uh, Gary Bettman and the big wigs at the league office. Uh, Maybe Tuesday. If not then, we could be looking until after uh, the draft combine next weekend in Buffalo. So uh, perhaps not until the first week of June until the Oilers make it official. A lot of discussion about Dave Tippett, a fairly successful coach in the National Hockey League. I mean, I know he had several non-playoff years in Arizona, a franchise that was riddled with a lot of instability, especially in the financial department. He didn't have a lot of 
great rosters while he was coaching there. I think a, a pretty well-respected coach, uh, and no doubt he, if he's not the coach of the Oilers, he'll coach again in the National Hockey League. He's been an advisor for the last few seasons, or pardon me, for the last year with the incoming Seattle franchise. I just want to get a, a collection of some of the uh, some of the comments about Tippett we've had on 6:30 Chet over the past couple of days. Brian Lawton, former player former player agent, former GM in the National Hockey League, now on the NHL Network on Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer earlier today, and he had a lot of praise for Tippett. I know Dave better than, you know, a little bit. I was teammates with him in the Hartford Whalers. Some people equate Dave defensively because he was a defensive specialist as a player. But as a coach, uh, the thing I like about Tip is that he's one of these guys there's two types of coaches. The coaches that want to coach the way they coach, and they don't care who they have on the roster. And there's coaches that are flexible, that are going to figure out where the strengths are on the roster, and then they're going to coach the team appropriately, meaning that they may be more defensive-minded or they may be more offensive-minded. Tip is the latter. He's a guy that... Uh, if somehow he ever did end up coaching the Oilers, and, and I certainly don't know if he's going to, but if he did, uh, they'd be really lucky to have him. He's a forward thinker. He's a great communicator. And I would expect, uh, knowing Tip as well as I do, that uh, the Edmonton Oilers would reach new heights and be as exciting as, as you've ever seen them. He would want to utilize the weapons that they have. And... Uh, the whole thing about offensive, defensive, to me, is overblown. I'm, I just watched the games for St. Louis and Boston, and these two teams, the strength of both of them is rooted in the defensive side of the puck for both of them, and they're in the final, so you can figure it out from there. Well, those are interesting comments from Brian Lawton, and, and what he said there about offensive defensing being overblown, I, 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 I'm on board with that, and, and I know you know we talked about this with Todd McClellan and, and Hitch over the last few years. I think, and, and I'm sure there are, are, are many of you out there that, you know, coach hockey at, at some level, and, and maybe it's minor hockey, maybe you're coaching your son or daughter, so you're not on an NHL bench. But I would think even if you're you're coaching, you know, a, a novice team, that you don't go to practice thinking, well, I'm going to be a defensive coach or I'm going to be an offensive coach. I mean, let's let's be quite blunt here. That's a stupid approach because you're coaching hockey and you have to be successful at, at both. Now, I think... Most coaches, most coaches in the National Hockey League are going to stress, though, the defensive side of the game. And when I'm talking about the defensive side of the game, I'm specifically talking about what you do when you do not have the puck to prevent grade-A scoring chances and to get it back. Um, No, those have been problems for the Oilers for much of this decade plus of darkness as it's become known that they uh, they don't prevent goals very well. Now, obviously, some of that is talent, some of that is goaltending, some of that has been structure or commitment to the structure, getting a coach who can get players to commit to that for the long term. Um, so I, I understand, is is Dave Tippett a defensive coach? Well, he's going to come in here, and he's if he comes in here, he's going to do things to get the Oilers to prevent goals, to check, to be in the right spot. And the better you do that in the NHL, the more you have the puck. I mean, this isn't football where you might have a great defense and you force the other team to punt quickly, but then totally different players come onto the ice and play offense 
or onto the field and play offense. And if they're bad, you're just kicking back to the other team. I mean, hockey has flow. So if 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 Dave Tippett comes in and says we got to do this, we got to do this, we got to structure it this way so we get the puck, then you go, then you go and you try to score. Well, is that defensive coaching or is that just coaching responsibly? So I, I hesitate to label hockey coaches as offensive or defensive specialists. Most coaches are going to emphasize preventing goals, getting the puck back, being in the right spot, anticipating, checking. All I mean, how many times in Todd McClellan's first training camp and first season did we hear him say, uh, play inside the other guy's equipment? get over top of the puck. I mean, he used to use those phrases all the time. That all came down. That that was all about behavior when you don't have possession of the puck. So he might have not been saying, well, defense checking directly, but he was he was giving the 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 signposts for for how you do that and how he wanted his players to behave when they don't have the puck. So I don't think it's quite so simple as saying, well, Tippett's defensive, he's going to put the reins on Connor McDavid. Look, if you're a coach and you put the reins on your best player, again, I don't care if you're a novice or in the NHL, you're doing it wrong. So I think after all his experience in the NHL, whether you like Dave Tippett or not as a candidate, I don't think he's going to put the reins on uh, Connor McDavid. Uh, Kelly Rudy was on the show last night and uh you know we brought that up is 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 tip it too much just just stressing defense you sort of gain a reputation right and then people uh say well here's how you coach and you can't change and so on but i disagree with that and i'll give you two examples from uh last hockey season and i would say claude julian and guy boucher when they're in montreal and ottawa respectively they would have been uh, if you would have labeled them, you would have said the same thing. Hard-nosed defensive hockey, you know, don't take chances offensively. And then whether it was because their general managers, managers came to them and they told them, listen, here's the style that we're going to play now. And you look at both teams, and, and they were fun to watch this year. Now, you could argue they didn't make the playoffs, but they were much improved, I thought. And uh, even Ottawa, with the huge personnel changes, uh, until Boucher was fired, I'll tell you what, they played fun, fast, exciting hockey. And if that's what Dave Tippett, if, if ultimately he is hired in Edmonton, I'm sure he could make those adjustments in no time and, and uh, in fact, enjoy playing that style of hockey. All right. I, I think with Tippett, he, he's, he has experience. He knows what he wants to do. It's will he be able to get the players to do it, get the quote-unquote buy-in, and, and will he have the players with the talent to be able to do it? Because last year, I mean, sure, you can pick apart some of the coaching. The Oilers didn't have the talent to to, to play the, the way that you need to play to be successful in the NHL. About Joachim Negart, the new Edmonton Oilers, officially signed today. Uh, Kevin reaching out to me on Twitter. He says, if he can replace Toby Reader and be cheaper, mission accomplished. Well, he'll be cheaper than Reader coming in on an, uh, uh, on an entry-level contract at the age of 26. Production-wise, well, it's obviously not going to take much to top Reader in the goals department. And if he can help on the PK, considering the Oilers have had the worst PK in the league combined the last two seasons, won't take much to take a step up there either. Really bad news for the Edmonton Eskimos today at 20- Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Horn tricep for offensive lineman Sir Vincent Rogers. Morley Scott will talk about the impact of that when we get back. You're listening to 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Memorial Cup semifinal, seven minutes into the second period. It is 3-3. Guelph and Rowan Naranda will keep you updated on that one. We'll have more major junior talk after seven tonight. Red Deer Rebels play-by-play voice Cam Moon will be in studio. Eskimos, Lions, Sunday, Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium. The play-by-play voice for the Green and Gold here on 630 Chet is Morley Scott. Morley, how are you doing? I'm great, Reed. It's uh, football season, and I'm spending my time at Commonwealth Stadium watching football, so I'm having a good week. Well, it's fun to get the season going, but man, it seems the Eskimos can't get through a training camp without a serious injury. I mean, I'm thinking back, John White, a couple of years ago. John Ojo, uh, year Ojo, before Ojo, that. year before that, and Sir Vincent Rogers. That huge free agency day with eight guys signed, and we're not going to see him for a while. Maybe not see him this season. Maybe not at all this season, yeah. News came out today. He hasn't been at practice the last couple of days, and uh, late this afternoon, the Eskimos announced that he has a torn tricep. And I think that means surgery, and I think that means he'll probably be done for the year. The, the standard recovery time is about six months, and if you add six months to May, you get November, right? So uh, I don't think we're going to see him, which is a terrible break for the Eskimos uh, to have that happen. He was he was one of the guys who was uh, – I just talked to him a couple days ago. I uh, did an interview with him, and uh, he was having a good time. He was fitting in. He was real excited to, be, to get the season going, and I'm sure everyone in the organization was excited to see him play. And now we're going to have to wait. All right, so that's and that's such an important position on the mm. offensive line. I mean, he's been a one of the best offensive linemen in the CFL for the last, you know, three, four, five years. Yeah, if not longer. He spent a couple of years in Toronto and then four years in Ottawa where he played very well and was the offensive lineman of the year and uh, just put up some great protection for Trevor Harris when he was with Ottawa as well. So, uh, yeah, it's a tough position to fill, but the Eskimos will make some moves now. Um, You know, they still have uh, Colin Kelly on the other side. They could choose to move him from from right tackle to left tackle to take Sir Vincent Rogers' place. Uh, They also have Tommy Draheim, who played a little bit last year at that spot. Uh, they could also kick Matt O'Donnell out to a tackle position as well. They've done that at practice uh, with Travis Bond, who's uh, an import and typically a guard. But uh, the first practice when Sir Vincent Rogers wasn't there, he moved out. Uh, Colin Kelly also sat out of practice. He was back today, but he uh, Bond moved out to the to the tackle spot on the right side. So that's an option as well. I'm sure they'll have to play with a little bit and find the right uh, the right mix of who plays where. But tough break for everybody involved. Well, uh, yeah, that, that he was such an important signing uh, on free agency day, and I'm almost kicking myself for saying this now because I remember sitting in the sports bullpen with you and Dave on that free agency day where it was every 15 to 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Oh, they signed this guy. Oh, they signed this guy. And I remember saying, this is awesome. Like these eight new players. But I remember saying, you know, I wonder how many will be on opening day. Cause always something happens. And unfortunately yeah. it's Sir Vincent Rogers. And also we haven't seen Javon Santos Knox in the linebacking court, and we haven't seen Anthony Orange. In yeah, the for sure. And I know you say you feel bad. I feel bad, too. A couple of days ago, I was talking with Jason Moss about training camp, and, and he was going on about how he thought it was 
the best training camp that the Eskimos have had in his time as head coach, which is the fourth, this is the fourth training camp now. And I said, knock on wood, you've been pretty healthy too. And it was the next day, I think, that uh, that Sir Vincent Rogers got injured. So uh, I, I, I blame myself. I think for all this, I think it's all my fault. So what? So what about Santos Knox and Orange then? Uh, this was something come, they haven't been on the field at all, right? No, they have not. But I think they're going to be okay. I, I I don't think they're going to play in the preseason, uh, especially Santos Knox. But he's going to be ready for opening day. That okay. is that is going to be good to go because he he suffered an injury in the final game of the regular season last year with Winnipeg, which was in Edmonton. I believe he broke his foot in that game. He missed the playoffs also because he had a broken foot, missed his window of opportunity with the NFL. And that's why he's back in the Canadian Football League this year because he couldn't work out for NFL teams because he broke his foot in the final game of the regular season last year. Uh, he's been out. He hasn't been working out with the team, but he's been in the uh, the prison yard, as they call it, where all the where all the weights are and they they do all their off field training. And uh, he's been out there every day working hard, and he shows no signs of uh, of limping or anything like that. He and Anthony Orange have been there as well. I don't know what the injury is to Orange, but he probably could uh, could go in a preseason game. I think they're going to keep him out, at least for the first one for sure, because he hasn't practiced yet this year. But I don't think there's any danger, unless he, one of them has a setback. I don't think there's any danger of either of them missing the June 14th uh, regular season opener. Morley Scott, Eskimos play-by-play voice here on 630. Chad joining us on Inside Sports. 12.30 countdown to kickoff on Sunday. The game is at 2 as the Eskimos take on the BC Lions. The first preseason game features a lot of players, often a lot of mistakes, often a lot of penalties because you have many players in with with a new team or maybe even playing their first game of pro football, even even though it's preseason. Who, who do we expect to see or who are some of the... Several dozen players who are going to be on the Eskimos roster. Who, who might we be uh, keying on here? Well, to put it into perspective, I think uh, if you're going to the game, don't be late. Because the guys you want to see are the guys who are going to play in the first quarter of the first couple of series. And it usually, knowing Jason Moss now and the way he's operated in the past in this game, uh, I think this is like the the second or third year in a row the Eskimos have had the first game at home, the second game on the road. So they play their starters for the most part in the first game. They give them up to a quarter, up to two series, maybe into the second quarter, depending on on how those series go and how much time they get on the field. And then they start to go to the twos and the threes and the fours and the fives and the guys who are who are fighting for jobs, not only uh, as a backup, but on special teams as well. So uh, most of the guys... As a fan, most of the guys you'll want to see, they'll be there at the start of the game at the, in the first quarter, and then they'll start to uh, kind of fade out as the game goes along. Uh, it'll be the other way around for the BC Lions. From what I understand, they're not bringing a lot right. of their veteran players, and that includes Mike Riley, who uh, I guess said today that uh, he, he's probably not going to play, but he would like to go just to get the weirdness out of the way of going back to that the stadium, as he said, without... Uh, being with the Eskimos, being with the BC Lions for the first time uh, since his six years as an Eskimo starter. So uh, he might be here, but he won't play. Uh, and then he'll get the majority of the game, I imagine, in their second preseason game. All right. Anybody? That's the other thing, sorry, the other thing too, the Eskimos will go with most of their rookies and most of the guys fighting for jobs and maybe the veterans who didn't play in the first game, which won't be many, in the second game in Winnipeg. It's only four days between games, right? They play right. here on Sunday, then in Winnipeg on Friday. So you don't want to have that quick turnaround for guys. Uh, the veteran guys, you know, you get a look at them, let them knock the rust off in the first game and then let them sit until the 14th. Any new guys making a splash? 
they're all new guys, Reed. Come on. <laughs> uh, there's there's a few guys who are who are making an impact. I, the receiving core has looked really good. First okay. off, uh, one of the older guys, well, not old, but returning guys, Kenny Stafford, has looked really good. Good. Uh, he is lots of separation. Uh, the receiving core, I think, is going to be pretty good. Uh, they've had I've seen good things from Tavares Daniels and from Ricky Collins Jr. and, and Greg Ellingson is he is what he is, right? We all know what Greg Ellingson is. So, and he's got that chemistry already with uh, with Trevor Harris. So that's the guys. I I'm really looking forward to seeing the defense play not so much the new guys, but the new system. And every Eskimo fan out there will be happy to know, if you haven't heard already, that Philip Lawley likes pressure. Right. And this is going to be a team that pressures most. I was talking to Corey Jones this week, and, and I asked him, like, what are, you gonna, what are people going to notice here? And he says, it's a change in identity for the Eskimos' defense this year. They, you know, and, and rightly or wrongly, Mike Benavides was more passive uh, Philip Lawley comes from the Chris Jones school, right? They were tied to the hip for a couple of years here in Edmonton, and he likes to play that style. Uh, athletes making plays, going after the football. I talked to Natea Jay today, and he said the one thing he noticed about the defense is they're fast, and they're around you. As soon as you catch the ball, they rally around the football. So it's a defense that is going to be a, a defense that wants to force turnovers, wants two and outs, wants to strip the ball. They want to sit down. They want to give the def- the offense the football back. They want to sit down and watch. All right. So Sir Vincent Rogers, torn left. Tri- this episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Icep, the big offensive lineman, uh, out indefinitely likely uh, long-term for the Edmonton Eskimos. Morley, thanks for checking in. You bet, Reed. is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. All right, so you heard Morley and I talking about it. Eskimos offensive lineman Sir Vincent Rogers, one of the big free agent signings in February, out indefinitely with a torn tricep on his uh, left arm. So tough news for the Eskimos that could end his season already. Eskimos Lions on Sunday on 6.30, Chad, 12.30 for the countdown to kick off the game at 2. The Oilers making it official. They have signed Swedish left winger, 26-year-old Joachim Nygaard, who was second in the Swedish Hockey League in goals this past season with 21. 3-3 Storm and Huskies Memorial Cup Semi-final, four minutes left in the second period. Blue Jays taking on the Padres. It's 3-3 in the bottom of the fifth. The Edmonton Stingers home tonight at the Expo Center against Guelph. That one will tip off at 7. The Edmonton Prospects, first game of the season. Tomorrow at 7 at Remax Field, they will take on Lethbridge. Prospects coach Jordan Blundell will join us later this half hour. Monday on 6.30, Chad, 6 o'clock. Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final, Blues and Bruins. It's the fourth appearance in the Stanley Cup final for the St. Louis Blues. The other three times they were there, 68, 69, and 70, this man was on the team. Please welcome back to Inside Sports, Terry Crisp. Terry, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. Back up in Calgary, visiting the grandchildren, graduation time. 
etc. And you even got me a nice sunny sky. So, hey, life is good. Well, it's always great to have you on the show. And, uh, you know, we, we usually talk once or twice a year about, uh, you know, the Predators or the Oilers or whatever is going on. But I, I want to go down memory lane with you today, Terry, because you were an original St. Louis Blue. Uh, claim to the expansion draft in June of 1967. What do you remember about that? I mean, going to a new team, the NHL doubled in size uh, back at that time. I don't, I don't know if... Did, I mean, were people thinking, is this going to fly hockey in some of these other cities? Like, what do you remember about being picked by the Blues? You know, the biggest thing is that James had to surprise that back then there was only six teams. There was no draft. They owned you. They owned your junior team. They signed a C card for $100. Uh, you belong to them. So I paid for a junior team, Niagara Falls Flyers. Uh, Boston owned them. I signed the C card, and Boston owned me. So uh, suddenly you're, you're, you're turning pro. You're going to a team with only six in the NHL. And I can remember training camps back then were a, a good old boys club. And if you didn't belong to a good old boys club, you got froze out in a hurry, and you had to be something extra if you're going to make the team. And it was every year it was sort of like Groundhog Day. You go, make the team. Get a place to live, ship to the miners, never to be seen again. So uh, when the expansion came along in 67, it was probably one of the quietest things that ever happened in hockey, in my memory. Uh, there was no hoopla, no sort of a, a advance warning. It was just said they said, you know what? We're going to go from six to 12 teams, and you can protect so many players, and the rest are up for grabs. And fortunate enough for me, I got drafted by St. Louis and Boston and became an original blue in 1967. Well, and you you walk into the room and and uh, and you wound up with Scotty Bowman as uh, as your head coach, who in that day wasn't Scotty yeah. Bowman, if you know what I mean. So, what can you tell me yeah. about Scotty Bowman early in his coaching career? Well, probably the biggest thing about Scotty was we had when he first joined us. He wasn't the original coach. Uh, Lynn Patrick uh, was coaching and didn't like it, didn't want to do it, knew he needed somebody, so we went and got Scotty. And when Scotty first came on board. It was like one of these. It was almost like you're in military camp. I mean, Scotty was straight ahead, uh, no nonsense. And as, as you learned, as you go through and figured out that he knew what he was doing. He was young. He was enthusiastic, but he sure demanded of his players. And I've always said that I wished if I ever had a son that uh, and was coming in and wanted to play hockey, uh, I hope that he would be lucky enough to have Scotty Bowman as his first coach because Scotty, he was tough. But he was fair, and you had no problem with Scott. As long as you played and worked every shift on the ice and gave what you had, you got along well with Scotty. And I mean, he t- he took the team, w- melted them together, and away we went. Well, away you went for sure, and I want to talk about going to the final three years in a row, but before we get there, I mean, we see these these great stories now with some of the fans in St. Louis who've been supporting the team and now get to see the team in the, in the final again. When you went there, the city new to the NHL, was was there enthusiasm for hockey, or were there moments where you were yeah, like... Yeah, there was. Yeah? Yeah, they had, they had a, a minor league team there. Um and in St. Louis, the Chicago Blackhawks owned it, I think, uh, for for a year or two. So they had, had hockey there. It was it was nothing new. They had the the, the building there. We called it back then. It was the St. Louis Arena. And the amazing thing about that was, 
the arena we played in then was a gorgeous rink. I mean, some people have said that it was the equivalent of the Houston Astrodome when it was built in its day. And I always remember the years we were there, my wife and I still have pictures and go over it. That it was like the fans would come dressed to the hilt. They'd wear furs, jewels. The guys would wear tuxedos sometimes. They had a five-star restaurant there. It was second to none what the fans would come in and belong to. It was just amazing that it wasn't your sort of run-of-the-mill hockey fans that you normally thought you were going to see. It was like it was an event. It seemed to be an occasion. And the fans loved it. And then right off the bat, um, we we worked and, and got to the Stanley Cup Finals, and that, that sort of helped propel it and got things rolling early. When you go to the three state years in a row to the finals, now, mind you, we went, I think we were 0 for 12. No, I know we were 0 for 12, but we are just proud to get there and happy, and we knew we were up against it because back then it was the six original teams, and they played off for it, and the six new expansion teams played off, and then we met. And normally it was, it was sort of a, a given thing that, the real Stanley Cup was the semifinals, but we didn't believe in that. So when we were playing, and we gave them all they could handle. Terry Crisp joining us in Inside Sports. Yeah, 68, the Canadians with the sweep. 69, the Canadians with the sweep. And then 1970, the, the Bruins with the sweep over the Blues in perhaps the most replayed goal in NHL history uh, <laughs> with the Bobby Orr goal. And that's saying something because there there weren't as many cameras and, and well, there weren't any phones in the stands filming games and there wouldn't have been the camera angles and, and, uh, and quite the TV coverage. Uh, where, where were you when Bobby Orr went flying through the air. I know it would have been a heartbreaking <laughs> moment for you, but uh, what's your recollection of that play? I can I can tell you exactly where it was. I was on the ice when Bobby Orr started the wind-up behind the net, and he picked the puck up, and his own end was coming down the right side, right, right where the benches were, the both benches. So I said, okay, I'm going to cut him off with the pass. I'm going to cut cross ice and make sure Bobby Orr doesn't get loose. Well, I made my uh, cut across ice, but I think I missed the pass a little bit because all I remember is number four going by me. And I'm chasing number four, and I realized, well, I'm not going to catch him because he's got a pretty good head of steam. So I signaled to the bench on my way down, and I'm coming off, get a man uh, on the ice to, to head down and take my place. So I signal, I jump off Larry Keenan jumped on the ice right then and went on in well after i jumped off the ice i think about eight to ten seconds later that famous pitcher and i still maintain to people I said, you know if i'd have been smart i'd have stayed on the ice if i could foresee what was going to happen and when that play was done the way it evolved was the fact that i'd have been probably in the corner standing there looking at it saying what just happened i've been in the most famous pitcher probably that ever came out of boston in the hockey realm, not be in it. But as it was, I missed it. Oh, I could have been posterized for life. Could have been posterized <laughs> for life. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, and let's let's transition into this because, as you mentioned, you are in Calgary, and uh, you did get a Stanley Cup, uh, not as a player but as a coach. Uh, Nineteen eighty nine Flames. I know when we've talked in the past, we've touched on some of those memories. So I'm going to throw this throw it at you from this angle because we've seen a lot of upsets in this year's playoffs. Uh, we saw the first overall team get bounced in the first round, and that year in eighty nine. Calgary was first overall and you wound up playing second overall Montreal in the Stanley Cup final so the favorites made it that year 
What was it like being a favorite when people are picking you to win? Like, can that be a, a tough situation? Do you have a certain have to have a certain type of team and players to handle the the expectations of winning, or or how did your Flames team uh, deal with that? You know what? Probably the best break we got was the one in the first round. We played the Vancouver Canucks, and they were like eight to move at first, and we met off, <clears throat> and they took us to seven games overtime the seventh game in our building and they gave us more than we could handle almost and i can remember that series and that last game so vividly uh in the overtime i remember tony taunty a wraparound off the post stan schmiel a breakaway that mike vernon stoned him with a glove save and then we got the eventual goal winner but the thing that sticks in your mind is when you dodge a bullet like we dodged in that first round and then went on to win the cup you look back and you say you know what that probably was the thing that woke us up, made us, you know, scared us the most. And then from then on, it was a matter of getting down to your game, playing your game, and do what you had to do. But we ended up, I always recall uh, Scotty Bowman and Fred Shearer when I had two good, great coaches. They both always preached defense, defense, the goals against. If you're in the top goals against in the league, the top three or four, you're going to have a team that's got a chance to win it all. And that year when we met Montreal Canadiens, if you recall, they had met earlier in 86 when Badger Bob was the coach and Montreal Canadiens had won the cup that year in the finals against Calgary. So a few years later, we still had some of those players that remembered that. But that 89 Stanley Cup playoffs, Montreal was the best defensive goals against team in the league. We were the second best. So it tells you, you not only had firepower on both ends of it, but pretty good defensive skills also. Terry, it is always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for those memories of being an original member of the St. Louis Blues. Uh, it's going to be a great final between them and Boston. Thank you so much for your time. Hey, listen, it's my pleasure. I just want all the fans out there. I'm not sure they'll hear it, but this used to ring in our ears. Oh, when the Blues come marching in. Oh, when those Blues come marching in. That's all you're going to hear, guys. Let's have a great Stanley Cup final. Sounds great, Terry. Terry Crisp singing on Inside Sports. I never thought I would get that. A uh, former Stanley Cup champion coach giving us a little musical outro for his interview. Incredible memories of playing for uh, St. Louis when they came into the league 50 years ago. And Terry Chris uh, still going strong as a broadcaster for the Predators and uh, in Calgary celebrating the uh, 30th anniversary of that cup title. Well, it is 3-3 Memorial Cup semifinal. We will keep you updated. A very interested observer is in studio. And whenever this young man is on the show, I always get feedback from you saying, love this guy. Can you get him on a little more often? Well, we brought him in studio, and we'll have some fun with him for uh, an extended segment starting when we get back. Red Deer Rebels play-by-play voice, Cam Moon, coming up. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Well, let's give something away. We got a uh, pair of tickets to UFC 240 at Rogers Place right here in Edmonton on July 27th. Now, the tickets don't go on sale until next Friday. We're giving away two today. Uh, Cam Moon is in studio. Give me a number between 1 and 10. 7. Caller number 7 gets the tickets. All right. 
And if they want to talk to Cam Moon, we'll let them do that as well as an added prize. They can ask Cam Moon a question about his life and or career. What a prize. That's <laughs> pretty special. We just keep ramping it up on Inside Sports. Hey, yeah. the 14 people listening want to be excited about the show. All right, well, let's uh, let's crank it up for them then. Cam, thanks for dropping by. I was in, in the neighborhood. In studio. This is amazing. You're such a popular guest. It's great to have you okay. come in. Okay. I'm serious. People I, are always like, love Cam Moon, listen to Cam Moon. Well, Used to I, watch Cam Moon play. <laughs> Feel bad for those Cat people, called perhaps. him a little bit. <laughs> if you stand there long enough, Moon, one might hit you. Yeah. Oh, boy. There you go. Yeah, you'd hear that from the upper deck. But you played in the WHL uh-huh. when it was harder to play in the WHL. There were like, I, what, I four teams in the league? <laughs> There was one team in the league. Cam was the goalie. There was one team that would take me, anyway. <laughs> uh, how many teams were in when you played? 14. This was early 90s? Yeah, late 80s, early 90s. Late 80s. Yeah. Uh, who were you with again? Saskatoon Blades. And uh, you were pretty good. It was okay, occasionally. Did you play with any stars who blossomed into fine NHLers? Richard Matvichuk, oh, the good. pride of Fort Saskatchewan. He um, went on to a, a lengthy and... Very nice NHL career, and and would he won the cup with Hitch? Yeah, he did. Sure, he would have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And most recently, had been coaching in uh, Prince George in the Western Hockey League. Right, right. It was yeah. always nice to see Richard, but yeah, he was. You know, from the moment he came to Saskatoon as a 16-year-old, he played as a 15-year-old in the Alberta Junior League with the Fort Saskatchewan Traders, which you can't even do anymore. Right. But Richard was that good, and at 16, you're like, oh yeah, this guy will be in the NHL sooner than later, and he was in there sooner. Like he, I think he was in the NHL at 19. Yeah. Yeah, he was pretty good. All right. Uh, well, we're going to do more with you in the next half hour of the show. We got you seated here, well-positioned yeah. for the uh, Memorial Cup semifinal, which is 3-3 after 2. I know you're on with Bob earlier today. I, I do want to get into a little bit of the WHL's okay. Sounds fa- good. failings. Is that, do I, am I a jerk by saying failings? Because they're not – they haven't – they're a, a hell of a team, but at yeah. the tournament, the WHL champs have not won in a while. We'll get to the bottom of it. <laughs> Is the tournament... Uh, let me ask you this in the oh. 40 seconds we have before okay. the break, and then we can expand on it. Does the Memorial Cup crown the true CHL champion? Sort of. Getting that sort of. <laughs> it's tough with a tournament <laughs> like that, but it is very entertaining, and it's, a, it's one of the best 12 days of hockey you can go to. Cam Moon is in studio. You can text 630-630 again if you have any uh, memories of Cam. Oh, boy. As a player. Oh, let's not appreci- go down this path. Any appreciation of him as a broadcaster. I'll, I'll, I will love to hear it. All He's right. modest. He'll be embarrassed. But, and we'll talk about the slaw, the Sylvan Lake Association yeah, we, of Wrestling. we got to get that thing going. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.